I'm Dave Rubin and we're doing a special Columbus Day edition of the Rubin Report today. I am joined by the most notorious Christopher Columbus apologist on all of the internet, a man who also wrote one best-selling book with no words and another another best-selling book with words that the New York Times decided not to put on their bestseller list. Also, he left me behind in Crazy Cali while he moved to the free state of Tennessee. Yeah, you know who it is. Michael Knowles, welcome back to the Rubin Report. Great to be with you, sir, albeit from afar. I, uh, I hope to see you in person again soon, if I can make it back to that, uh, you know, failed state of of Mussolini's California. Yes, thank you for sticking me right at the beginning of this thing. Now, Knowles, I asked my guys, because it is Columbus Day, I asked my guys who is the foremost expert on Christopher Columbus, and they said, uh, they gave me a little, long list of names. We couldn't get any of those people. We Not got a single you. one. Yeah, we no. couldn't get them. And then I, they said Michael Knowles, and I said, well, what, Chris Columbus, I thought perhaps you were the expert on the director, Chris Columbus, of Home Alone and Harry Potter and Mrs. Doubtfire. Have you ever heard that joke before? Uh, yeah, I, I have not heard that joke. It's not a joke, Dave. I would, I would consider myself <laughs> expert on both Chris's, both very important, although I suppose today we celebrate the old Italian one. Yeah, okay, so let's, let's talk about Christopher Columbus, because I actually know, the joking aside, this, this is sort of close to your heart, the way that yeah. they've sort of changed the very life and the history of Christopher Columbus. I've, I've watched a couple things that you've done on this before. So actually, I'm not even gonna ask you a question to start. Why don't you just start? Where should we start when talking about Christopher Columbus? I think we ought to quote that great historian, Tony Soprano. I'll <laughs> clean up the language a little bit for your show, because it's a family program. When, when his son, AJ, is going off about some yeah. Howard Zinn revisionist woke nonsense about Christopher Columbus, Tony cuts him off and says, hey, enough of that. In this house, Christopher Columbus is a hero, all right? And that's the end of the story. And I think that's absolutely true. There are uh, two reasons here why we focus on Columbus Day and why this is near and dear to my heart. First of all, the identity politics. I am an Italian-American from New York. Uh, Columbus Day is considered an Italian-American holiday. It was instituted for the first time in 1892. This was on the 400th anniversary of Christopher Columbus sailing the ocean blue. The, the approximate cause of this is that the year prior, 11 Italian Americans had been lynched in New Orleans. It was, it's the largest mass lynching in American history. And so to make the Italians feel nice and welcome here in America, there was this initial Columbus Day celebrated. And then later on, Franklin Roosevelt made it an annual thing. So the, the Italians, especially those from the tri-state area, feel very close to it. Now, beyond the, you know, the usual sort of uh, identity pride that everyone seems to be focused on these days, why on his own merits would Columbus get a holiday? Well, the answer is simple. He is the man who discovered America. Without Christopher Columbus, we would not be here. And he's a great embodiment of Western civilization. He is an, an Italian, a, a gen genuine of low birth, who is basically a self-made man. And he educated himself and he traveled all over. He became one of the greatest sailors of his age, even when he was still a young man. He had this crazy idea to sail to the Indies to find a, a short sea route to the Indies. Uh, the reasons for this were Somewhat were economic to find a trade route, but they, and this, this is often overlooked, they were religious, they were spiritual. Mm -hmm. He wanted to 
uh, he was a devout Catholic. He wanted to fund another crusade, actually. And uh, on his ships, he said the Book of Hours. He led the men in prayers. He had confession in the Eucharist before he set sail. He was a deeply pious religious man. And he was intrepid. He was fearless. He, he sailed to Iceland, to Ireland, to parts of Africa. He makes it to the Indies. He goes three times, discovers a new world. And because he, he so embodies our civilization, the left hates his guts. So let's go with that for just a moment. Uh, so you're basically telling me he used the tools of the white patriarchy to come here and slaughter people, right? Isn't that where uh, yes. you're going next with this? You know, the Italians are a swarthy people, getting back to our identity <laughs> politics. So I don't know how, where they fall on white supremacy, but I think, yes, to, to the left, he was a, an embodiment of white supremacy. And the argument that they make is that Columbus came over to the Americas and he enslaved all the peoples and he raped, killed, pillaged, and burned. And he was a vicious tyrant and a murderer. And he did all of these awful things because he was a, a genocidal maniac. And the problem with that narrative is... Uh, not just that it's unfair or it's out of historical context, it's actually that it's not true. In the mm. words of Carol Delaney, who is a, a preeminent uh, Columbus historian, the, the left accuses Columbus of things that he actually did not do, that other Spaniards did, that actually in many cases Christopher Columbus tried to stop the Spaniards from doing. When they first landed, they met the Taino people, Columbus uh, told the Spaniards, don't be cruel to these people. Now, there were other islanders uh, in the area, notably the Carib Islanders, who were a little less kind and polite than the Taino Indians. Columbus noticed that the Tainos had a, a lot of scars on them, on some of them. And so he asked, where is that from? It was from the Carib Islanders. The Carib Islanders is where we get the word for cannibal. They were an island of cannibals. This is well-documented, and uh, you know this, this brought the idea of cannibalism even into our lexicon, our cultural lexicon. So not all of the natives created equal. Uh, Christopher Columbus befriended uh, one of the uh, Indian leaders and actually raised his orphaned son. Uh, so to call him racist, bigoted, genocidal, it just it, it, it is so overly simplistic. It's so dishonest. And uh, frankly, it's more fanciful and fabulous than, than any of the, the traditional narratives we have that, that, that admire Columbus. So since we're taping this actually a couple days before Columbus Day, uh, I'm sure that we're in agreement that there's no doubt like 80,000 hit pieces out right now. They're doing hit pieces, post-death you know post -death hit pieces on Christopher Columbus right now. There's no doubt they're saying, you know, slaughtered indigenous and all of the stuff. Does this, in some ways for you, because you care about this, and, and at the identity politics level, it, it's okay to be an Italian, proud of Italian heritage and history and all of those things, that it's like, we can't defend any of our freedoms now. We can't even defend our current you know, history from 10 years ago, that this is one that it almost feels like the ship has sailed, no pun intended. Like they're coming for Christopher Columbus, whether we like it or not. They are, and these hit pieces, they crop up every year, and they've really increased in frequency and vitriol since the mid-2000s. And whenever you look at a hit piece, what's the first question you gotta ask? The first question is, what are the sources? Where did they get this stuff from? It was a little weird that these hit pieces all cropped up in the, in the 2000s. And, and the explanation was that new documents revealed that Columbus was not a great guy, that actually he was a terrible genocidal maniac. What were the documents? It's actually, you'll notice on a lot of these articles, you can't find, they don't cite their sources. It all goes back to a document from a man named Francisco de Bobadilla. Francisco de Bobadilla was 
Christopher Columbus's rival for political power in the New World. Columbus was not just the greatest explorer of his age, but he also was the governor of the Indies. He was a less competent governor than he was a, an explorer. And actually, a lot of the, the harsher uh, treatment of the Native Americans was as a result of, of Christopher Columbus being outfoxed politically by much less scrupulous men. And so one of the people who stabbed Columbus in the back was this guy, de Bobadilla. Regardless of what, I'm not, I'm not saying Christopher Columbus was perfect. Obviously, he wasn't. He was a human. No human is perfect. Uh, not, not, not in this day and age, at least. <laughs> and I, I can really only name one person. You know, one, one, maybe two. I don't know. You, Dave, you're a nice guy, but I don't think so. So thank you, thank you. I, when we look at at this historical record, I, I think the comparison here would be if you if you were looking at a history of Hillary Clinton, and you said, okay, well, what's a fair history of Hillary Clinton? Uh, how about this one written by Donald Trump? That's what I'm going to use this as my sole evidence that Hillary or vice versa, you know, the history right, right. of Donald Trump written by Hillary Clinton, regardless of the, the facts on the ground. And we can talk about all of the complex facets of Columbus's life. It's simply preposterous to take his chief political rival as the, the gospel truth on the man, especially when when that narrative is so contradicted by many other esteemed historians and, and people who, who were there at the time. I mean, I think of Bartolome de las Casas, the first resident bishop of the Americas. Bartolome de las Casas was honest about Columbus's faults, and he said, you know, the man didn't govern perfectly, but he was the, he's considered one of the greatest defenders of the Native Americans, and yet de las Casas remained a lifelong admirer of Christopher Columbus. And I think we, we need to take into account that historical perspective as well before we throw the guy over the ship, as it were. Right. All right, so with that in mind, let's spend our remaining time talking about the good stuff. We know the controversies are coming. We know what they're gonna say. Okay, so be it. And by the way, none of these people are leaving America. None of these people are doing anything other than complaining and everything else. But let's, let's be productive here and, and get some real knowledge. Just on the exploration part, itself. Is there, are there any interesting stories that sort of got him to decide, yeah, I'm going to get in a boat and see what happens? Like, it's a pretty crazy thing. I mean, the only the only comparable thing we have in modern times is that, you know, Elon Musk is, you know, trying to send people to Mars or that kind of thing. Yes. Uh, the thing you need to know about Christopher Columbus's exploration is that the man was unique. This, this is not something to be looked at as the mere tides of history, and someone was going to discover the Americas, and oh, you know, if it wasn't Chris, it would have been somebody else. No, Christopher Columbus was so ruthlessly determined and ambitious to find this sea route that he, first of all, educated himself. He educated himself became literate, became a Spaniard. He was an Italian guy, but he became a Spaniard because he thought that was going to be basically his best chance to, to go on over. He lobbied the king of Portugal. The king of Portugal refused. He then goes and lobbies the king and queen of, of Spain. They refuse as well, but through basically sheer tyranny of will and personality, he finally gets Isabella, Queen Isabella, to relent and fund this voyage. He had already had a lot of experience at sea before that, and then he sets to sea. What does he have? All these wonderful tools at his disposal? No, he's got a compass and the stars. He used dead reckoning to make it across. So you'll often hear people today say, Christopher Columbus, he didn't even end up where he wanted to end up. He wanted to end up in the East Indies. Right, and what, right. He found Bermuda, you know, or whatever, <laughs> not Bermuda. He found the Bahamas, he found the Caribbean. And you think, well, I don't know, the guy had a compass and he had the stars. How far would you make it? Probably not very far. He also had to put down I can't get mutiny. to the 405 without my GPS, so I got you. <laughs> I know, of course not, none of us scan. You know, uh, on, on this voyage, as they were going a far, a far greater distance, I think, than many people were prepared to undertake, uh, 
uh, Christopher Columbus had to put down a mutiny. So here you do see a little bit of his leadership skill. Maybe he wasn't the greatest governor of the Indies, but he did keep these men in line and they finally do spot land. And he, uh, I think, owes a lot of it to his faith in God. I mean, when he, when he finally does land in the Caribbean, the first island he lands at, he calls it San Salvador, right? The, our, the savior. Mm-hmm. And uh, he he deals with all of these difficult political problems. He, he is brought back to uh, Spain in chains. So he undergoes a lot of persecution. And Columbus doesn't just complain about this, by the way. He, he thinks he was unjustly persecuted. I think he was largely unjustly persecuted. There are some cynical motives for it, which is that as long as Christopher Columbus was a criminal, then the, the crown didn't need to pay him what they owed him. So there were a lot of political machinations going on in Spain. But he he understood that perhaps he was suffering because of his own failings. So he, and he writes about this in his journals. So he actually does look in on himself. And the, the two-dimensional picture is just so silly, not to harp too much on the criticisms of him, but I think there is an important one that we need to focus on here, which is ourselves. You know, in the spirit mm-hmm. of Columbus looking in on his own failings, we need to look in on ourselves. Without Christopher Columbus, we would not be here. Without Christopher Columbus, the Hispanic people would not exist. There would be no such thing as Latinos or Hispanics, right? Which is Latino people come from the mixture of the American indigenous peoples and the Spaniards who come over. So if you're an Hispanic person, you owe your very ethnic identity to Christopher Columbus. And we, of course, owe our existence here in the new world. And so I think before we cast stones, we should recognize that we are standing on the shoulders of giants, this giant in particular, and yet we think that we're flying. Yeah. What else don't we know about those those first days when he reaches the new world? Is there anything like particularly interesting from the, just like it's just like hard to imagine? Well, how long did it take, by the way? So the, I, I forget the exact number of days. I used to know this this pretty well, uh, but I, I forget the exact timing. There are some interesting stories though when he lands on the first time, and, and I think this is also really important when we're talking about the the Native Americans or you know the indigenous peoples from the region. Because I don't mean to downplay the suffering that they endured. Many of them did endure a, a lot of suffering, but the the Native Americans that he encountered. I mentioned this a little bit earlier were all sorts of different people. And some of them were good, and some of them were not so good. And some of the groups of Native, of Native Caribbeans were good, and some of them were not so good. And the thing we find about them when we read Columbus's writings, when we read the writings of other people who were on the voyage, is that those indigenous peoples were a lot like us. That is, they were people. Mm-hmm. And they had some good characteristics and they had some bad characteristics. And the way that these peoples developed over time, like w- when you're talking about that interaction of Columbus with the natives there, you're talking about the first modern colonial interactions in in the, the modern era. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. if there are going to be problems, if there are going to be failures, if there are going to be mistakes made, recognize you're talking about something that is so historic that, that Columbus is credited in many ways with giving birth to this modern era that we're, that we're all living in. Would you like to see the, the modern American-Italian community stand up more for Columbus's legacy? I mean, that episode of The Sopranos, I know the one you're talking about, it's the very famous Columbus Day episode when they're trying to tear down, you know, some activists are trying to tear down a statue somewhere in Jersey. Um, I wonder, should, should the Italian community be getting more up in arms over this? I, I do think that the Italians have a special role here in defending Columbus. You know, I don't love identity politics, yeah. and it's not like I wake up every morning and I think, gosh, I'm proudest of the fact that my skin is a little swarthy and I eat cannoli and things like that. 
but the Italians have a special role here. If they're, if they're not going to defend Columbus, who will? And the, the Italians ought to be uh, happy about their influence on America. You know, I mean, well, there are a lot of, Itali- first of all, America's named after an Italian, Amerigo Vespucci, the map maker. Uh, you've got the Verrazzano Bridge. You've got, uh, you know, C- Christopher Columbus, obviously, so many places named after him. And, and I think this raises another question. Why are towns, universities, state, countries, old countries named after Christopher Columbus? Why did people once admire him and they don't admire him anymore. I suppose part of that might be because unscrupulous journalists are relying on ridiculous historical records. But, uh, but I suspect it has to do more with ourselves. You know, we just, we don't like ourselves so much anymore as a, as a civilization. And Columbus, because he played such a role in, in developing that civilization and embodying it, I think he bears a lot of the, the brunt of this sort of thing. You know, when you asked for interesting episodes from those first encounters he had, well, most of what we see from those earliest encounters between Columbus and the natives are him imploring people to treat them well, do not, please Spaniards, do not deceive the natives, do not deceive them in trade, do not be too harsh on them. And, and you know, that side of the man you, you never really get to see. Later on, more difficult, you know, circumstances developed, of course. No one, no one is denying that. But wh- it, it reminds me of Chesterton's fence. You know, Chester, G.K. Mm-hmm. Chesterton, the English mm-hmm. writer, has this, this famous idea that uh, there are two kinds of reformers, right? The reformer who goes up and sees a fence in the middle of nowhere, just a white fence, doesn't seem to serve any purpose, and who says, tear down that fence. I have no reason, I, I have no idea why that fence was erected in the first place. And then there's another type of reformer who says, hold on a second. If, if you do not know the purpose of that fence, if you don't know why that was erected in the first place, then don't touch it. Go figure out why it was erected in the first place and then tear it down. And I think that's, that's what, what we should begin with here is a little bit of humility to say, why was this man admired for so very long? Well, maybe, we, maybe shockingly, it's us here in 2021 who are missing something. And it's not just the deluded, old, awful people who came before us that we've got to tear down. Well, that kind of feels like the right ending. I think you did it. You brought the old into the new. You brought the old world to the new world. You know, we, br- we bridge the sea. We, <laughs> we have done it. We've reached the sea. I hope we can defend the great Christopher Columbus. I hope people don't tear down his statues too much into the near future. Because the thing is, when you, when you tear down your entire country, when you tear down your entire civilization, one... Uh, some of those statues might clobber you and clobber the things that you love, but, but you're going to end up living amid ruins. And, and all cultures, all civilizations are going to have to admire certain people. We're going to have to admire certain values. And I, I want to live in a civilization that admires the great men who came before us, who gave us our culture, that admires the intrepid, determined, faithful, intelligent, ambitious sort of uh, episodes that, that I think are really well typified and really well exemplified by Christopher Columbus. Or we're going to admire a lot of the bad guys who are running around, running roughshod over our culture. Make, make yeah. your choice. Everybody's got to serve somebody. In many ways, that's exactly what the whole damn thing is about right now. And Knowles, you are the living embodiment of Christopher Columbus because you left Los Angeles mm. for the unchartered, the unknown country, country of Tennessee. Mm-hmm. It's a country, this right? is true. And I've, and I, just like Christopher Columbus, I've had wonderful encounters with the natives <laughs> here in Tennessee as well. 
Knowles, thanks for doing this. Have a happy Columbus Day, and I'll see you in Tennessee soon, and then uh, we'll see if we can, if they'll let you back in LA. I have no idea. Ciao. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Be sure to subscribe and rate this podcast. And don't forget, you can watch my direct messages live on Blaze TV and YouTube every weekday at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern. And of course, if you want to connect with me personally and get early access to my sit-down interviews, join rubinreport.locals.com.